hop in your fire tower and let's start reading the news because it's time for some A-plus talent. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to A-plus Podcast. I'm D.L. McDonald, your host, and let me tell you something. If I asked you to name three things that were truly representative of Canada, you'd list beavers, maple syrup, and my next guest. He's so ingrained in Canadian film and television that if you cast him, you've met all your requirements for Canadian content. He's recognized for his efforts by the Geminis, the CSAs, and has been honored with the Actor Toronto Award of Excellence. Mr. Peter Kellahan. Wow, that was glowing. I'm up, I'm up there with beavers and what? Maple syrup? Maple syrup. Yeah. Holy God. And you knocked craft dinner out of the running. So hats, breakfast topping, and me. <laughs> That's how it works. So uh, how are you, Sabah? I'm doing good. You know, um, COVID was, was, a, was a trial. It was a trial by fire for everybody, especially in this business. You know, it was a very strange thing. It was one of the first industries to to shut down um, out of necessity. Obviously, I mean, there was, I mean, there's so much inherent risks involved with everything that was shut down, from haircuts to nail salons to you know close quarters of of acting. You know, and um, it was it's a scary time for everybody because you know, like so many businesses. What form is it going to take when it comes back? And most especially theater and, and the people, the great swath of people, especially in this country and maybe England, that made a really decent living in major festivals like the Shaw Festival or um, Stratford and um, all the Foster Festival that I was in this summer that got canceled. And so those people that primarily make a living in those um businesses are, are really hurting and I've got friends in the business too in that in that sphere that are saying you know towns like Stratford from everything from hotels to restaurants to the theater are, are um, in very bad shape so it's a scary time all around um, but here we are what a quarter of a trillion dollar in, in debt and uh, we'll, we'll make it out on the other side undoubtedly it happened before and will probably happen again and but in our lifetime, it's it's unique. Yeah, it's uh, definitely hurting a lot of people it's, right now. That's for sure. It's it's singular. It certainly is. So let's dive in here. Uh, where were you born and grew up? Uh, I was born in uh, Montreal in the middle of the last century, and I first lived in Dorval, then moved to a little town uh, outside of on the south shore called Chambly, and then finally to Saint Bruno which is also on the South Shore. And uh, I lived there until 1980, and then I went to theater school in England, and then I moved back. And instead of moving back to Montreal, because at that time, you probably remember, or no, you uh, Bill 101, a French language law, uh, and a grand exodus of a lot of English Anglophones out of Quebec started to happen. So I thought, hmm, if I'm going to start my career, I better move to Toronto. That's where the epicenter was. And still is in many ways. And uh, moved there in 81 and spent about five years in L.A., 90 to 95, I want to say. And then back home. So what was your first taste of acting and why did you choose acting as a career? 
Oh, well, it was probably high school. And, you know, a pretty typical story that um, very, very shy kid, you know, almost pathologically shy, couldn't open my mouth in front of a classroom. Um, and, um, I, you know, in, in around high school, a teacher wisely said, why don't you get into theater? And theater um, at the time was was very... I don't know. It, it certainly was not uh, high on the curriculum for anybody that wanted to have what, especially my parents referred to as a kind of a standard career. My father is first generation Canadian from Poland, my mom from Ireland. Nobody quite understood the biz. <clears throat> but I, as I got into theater in high school, I found out that I could actually speak words without having the risk of being uh, put down by fellow students because it wasn't me. It was not my words. And then I thought, then I found that girls kind of liked it. You became kind of popular. And I thought, no, I'm in. You know, so a, lo a lot of people in the business will probably tell you they came from a very shy childhood. And, and uh, it is a way of communicating. It is a way of, uh, of expressing yourself without the fear of exposing yourself. So it, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that you become... Uh, you know, it's like a muscle that you keep exercising, that, that it, it makes you better and better as you go along. It makes you able to look people in the eye and to communicate better. And it, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of people in, um, in business go into second city and various, you know, acting groups just to be able to learn how to speak in front of people. And it, it really does teach you a great deal about um, becoming your own person. And I guess over the years, I, I learned, more and more about who and what I was and by extension um, making sure that I was incredibly prepared so that nothing could possibly go wrong with not just me but the persona that I was encompassing whether it be a dumb newscaster or whatever it was at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, who were your influences? You know, it's funny. I, somebody asked me this a little while ago, and I got to say that for comedy, it was Bugs Bunny. It really was that, you know, uh, Chuck Jones and all of those um, animators back then, Mel Blanc doing the voice. It was a, it was a series of, of cartoons that had that taught me timing. And I didn't at the beginning, I didn't quite know why it was funny that Bugs took a pause and did a, did a take to camera and all of these kinds of things. But after a while, that, that sort of, um, what's the right word? It's, it's, it's kind of like an advanced class in, in comedy that when you have it at a very young age, it, it, it tends to become ingrained. It can, tends to become second nature. And, and, and uh, you, you understand what the funny is because you found it funny at the beginning, so you start repeating it. And you almost do it subconsciously because you're not really um, uh, um, aware of that of, of the funny. Yeah. And then you know, beyond all of those cartoons, it was the usual Monty Python and playing comedy more straight, and instead of being a um, a physical comedian, I'm not. I'm not John Ritter. I'm not. Um, uh, I'm not the I'm not the kind of guy that that sort of comments on what I'm doing. I'm just I have to immerse myself and become as uh, uh, I, I have to have as much integrity as I possibly can have in any character, even 
you know, Ranger Gord from the Red Green Show. I, I really wanted to be desperately lonely so that it would actually ring true for a few seconds and, and, um, and, and the lines would mean something. And I think that, I think I learned from Bugs Bunny and, and, uh, you, and, 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 and Monty Python, there was a suspension of, of, uh, disbelief that made you want to believe that these characters were going through what they were going through in order to up the ante to up the jeopardy, but also make it inherently more funny. And that to me is where the funny comes from. So I guess, you know, if you looked at my career over the period of whatever it was, 35, 40 years, that it's sort of 70% comedy and the rest of it is, is very straight. Well, more straight. We're going to look at that career right now. Um, and I know you told me not to speak of screwballs, but, um, that aside, it, it was, you were what, like 22 and you're starring in like your first movie, like you were the lead of a feature film? Yeah, I mean, uh, feature film are, are, are uh, two strong words for what Screwballs was. I mean, I, if you look at that, I find it unwatchable. I really do. It's just a series of bad jokes from one of the characters being Melvin Jerkovsky and uh, Purity Bush, I think was another character. Yeah. All right, Howie and I have got an idea, and this time it's food. Bootsy, run the come over here. This is our final chance, right? And there's only one thing we haven't tried. What's that? Magnetism. You want to get right in there and, and rent that thing? Uh, look, it was, it was early eighties. It was pre-union. It was a non-union thing. It was, um, it was actually an accolade of, uh, Roger Corman. His name was, gosh, uh, Maurice Smith. Maurice Smith produced it. And I think he did it for about $600,000. And over the years, I think the thing grossed millions and millions of dollars, but being non-union, we saw nothing out of it. Oh, no. and it was a, it was a, horrendous experience. I mean, nobody, I, I, it was just one of these teen exploitation things off the heels of all the fairly good ones that, you know, Porky's and a few others that, that came before it. And, um, and so the, the, the formula was there and Roger Corman put some money into the thing and we made next to nothing for it. Um, and the, um, oh man, it's just the memories of that thing where, girls would break down crying because they had to be naked. And it was just absolutely horrendous and would never, ever happen today. And that didn't turn you off from wanting to be an actor, that, that terrible experience? It almost did. It almost did. And I remember distinctly having a offer to go to Stratford as an intern. And I had come from a lot of, you know, classical training of virtually everything in university and, and England was classical training. And I had, <laughs> I had an offer to go to Stratford as an intern or do this movie. And I chose to do the movie. <laughs> the comedy mill, uh, Steve Smith, this one season show that won Gemini for best comedy. Uh, did you mm -hmm. audition to be part of the cast or was I did, I, I auditioned and I, and it was, uh, very early on, I'm going to guess mid eighties and, um, Steve and Morai Smith, a husband and wife team who had come from another show called me and Max and Smith and Smith, Smith and Smith, Smith and Smith. 
And um, they wanted to do this other incarnation of a show, and it was going to be a sketch comedy show. And they wanted a they wanted uh, one guy, two women, Steve and and his wife. Uh, his kids were not going to be involved. And uh, so we, they came around to various agencies. They didn't have any money to rent any uh, casting director or anything like that. And they just sent out this uh, little scene. And um, it was really funny. Steve wrote this thing. And it, if you know Steve, he's genuinely a very, very funny guy on and off screen. He's really, really hard to work with because we crack up all the time. Anyway, he, he wrote this two paragraph thing and said, if you're interested in having a, a look at this and the, and the agencies gave them out to everybody and a few people went in and auditioned and I, I read it. I thought it was hilarious. And, uh, I remember the audition really well because I was sitting there, uh, in front of Stephen Morag in an office at my agency's, um, uh, uh, office space. And, uh, I, as I started to do this monologue thing, I could feel the chair getting, kind of rickety and it was moving in odd ways and I thought this is not good but I just kept going and at the end of the audition uh, I, I leaned back on the chair and the whole thing just absolutely collapsed and I, I went and heels over head behind I literally fell backwards and, and crashed on the floor and uh, they were very embarrassed and I was incredibly embarrassed that helped me get up and you know we started talking and uh i said jesus I'm, I'm really sorry about that and steve said oh don't worry about it you took it a lot better than alaska oh <laughs> and i thought yeah that's 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 the kind of guy i want to work with so anyways it worked out he hired me and we had the greatest time linda cash mag ruffman myself steve morag and we got to it was my first experience in writing uh some sketches uh, even sort of sort of quasi directing them if you wrote them you just sort of got to direct them a little bit um, and like in the premise was we were all a group of people in a factory creating comedy and sat around the table and started talking about you know in, in the intros of the shows what what's funny about this we could do comedy about this and and we would cut to a sketch and we did music and Tomorrow at 9.30 on the Comedy Mill, a man gets a close shave from the new Piranha Razor. Not recommended for underarms. A comedy thinker muses. People who talk in their sleep obviously aren't much interested in what they have to say. While a living poster speaks out. I'm hot. And a man tries to beat a dieter's ultimate nightmare, a booby trap fridge. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? I'll just make myself some lunch. The Comedy Mill, tomorrow on TV 11. Join us. Oh, it was, it was the, Steve always said, give me enough money to make a TV show, but not enough to care about what I'm making. And that rang true so much at the first years of where we, where we did it at CHCH in Hamilton, because, um, we were left alone and the, the power rested. And, and, and to this day, I'm absolutely convinced that producers of our networks and Netflix and everybody else has to come to terms with the fact that you leave the power with the creation of creator of the team you're going to have a much better product it's and it's evident all the way along from ken finkelman to david chase to whomever you know um steve uh, was the producer he was the boss and if i had a question or mag had a question about something we'd say steve how about trying this he'd say yay or nay and we'd go on rather than going through any kind of bureaucracy and everything else that really 
muddies the water so much. But we had the greatest time shooting in Hamilton. We shot on a very low budget. Uh, yeah, and I we did a whole bunch of episodes, and we rehearsed sometimes at Steve's cottage. We'd all stay there for a week, and we'd he'd play us songs that he'd written, and we'd write on write sketches together. And yeah, it was. I I think if you if you were to say if you were to ask me what was the happiest time, it was probably that time because there was so little pressure. There was so many laughs. There was such good friendship and camaraderie with the whole thing that, and then again, by extension, the, the, the um, red green show, a, a, a character that, I, that was created on the comedy mail. His name was a Kayla Gord, which was this very officious, very lonely, um, Boy Scout leader became Ranger Gord in Fire Tower. So, Ray Green Show, Ranger Gord, uh, it was written for you. I, so, uh, yeah. Uh, and what led to the cartoons on that? Ranger Gord's. Uh, you no, know, I, I think it was one of the writer's ideas. It might have been Rick Green's ideas or Steve's idea to do that. Ranger Gord is, you know, looking for ways of keeping himself company. So he. He creates his own cartoons, and whether they be, you know, public safety. I think most of them were public safety yeah. um, announcements, and, and him as a superhero and the, the kind of a um, human Smokey the Bear kind of character. Well, here we are. I guess you're wondering why I brought you two to this deep, dark, and dangerous neck of the woods. Yeah. Where are we, Ranger Horn? I have no idea. Gord, are you saying you got us lost? For our own good, Red. This way we can practice our survival instincts. Well, I'm glad I got my compass. Oh, those things are just superstitious mumbo-jumbo. If you find yourself lost in the woods, the best course of action is to ask the spirits of the forest for guidance. How do, how do we do that? Or yelling your head off is not going to help. Um, you know, telling you all sorts of inaccuracies about life in the forest and and creating water sprinklers out of, um, I don't know, <laughs> water canes, and whatever. It was just bizarre. What the heck are you doing here, Ranger Gore? <laughs> well, Red, here's my idea. After a rain, the fire danger is low, right? Yes. So I'm building a sprinkler system for the forest. Oh, a sprinkler system in the forest. Okay. That's right. I mean, it's mandatory in most buildings, so why shouldn't it be in the forest, right? I mean, I'm drilling out these old branches to use as pipes to carry the water along, and I'm using these pine cones to use as sprinklers. And um, and I and I did all the voices. Like it would it would be me doing Red Green's voice and Harold's voice and whoever else's voice, and it was. You know, I'd sit there in the fire tower, and I think one of the reasons that the cartoons came around was um, the CBC, when the CBC bought the show, uh, Ranger Gord ended up in a manufactured tower with a cyclorama that had trees on it, as opposed to me and Steve going out for a few days near Cleveland's house to an abandoned fire tower with a cameraman and um, laughing for 48 hours doing, you know, 12 sketches in a day. And so we needed, I think he needed something that was a little bit out of the ordinary for Ranger Gord to be 
occupied with in this tower because you know there was obviously no outside there was obviously no stairs etc 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 so that it probably the genesis is probably that that kind of thing yeah, i was going to ask if it was you doing the voices because it did say all the voices were done by range of gourd oh absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i do i do red and i do i think i was a superhero i think range of gourd was a superhero do you have a favorite memory of doing the show? Uh, yeah, I guess mostly it was the camaraderie, you know, the laughing, the outtakes. And there were an awful lot of outtakes and improvising where, you know, you would, you would come up with something at the spur of the moment and, uh, it, and you would end up just trying it in front of Steve because, again, it was his show and you could do whatever you wanted as long as you stuck to what the skeleton of his, of his script was, which was always always very funny um so uh yeah it was it was again the uh, the lack of um the lack of 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 network interference the camaraderie the good friends that i made out of it uh, pat mckinnon and, and jeff lumby and bob bainbro and and you probably know that there's a podcast now that just started up a red green podcast and i think it started a couple of weeks ago and again the memories just kind of start flooding back and trying to be uh, profoundly stupid with Steve is such a challenge. One of my lines in the podcast just recently was, well, I tell you, right, I was, I was up all night last night. I didn't sleep a wink. It was those darned owls. And Steve's line is, oh, yes, they're, they're nocturnal. And I say, no, no, they're Baptists. <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's just... I don't know. We, I, we've always had the greatest time, and, and and I guess it would be it would be the camaraderie that that would be the best memory from those things. Uh, speaking of like improving stuff within the show, uh, there was a bit I remember. Red was coming to grab a book from you, and it shot down like at the base of the uh, the fire watchtower. And he's like, oh, thanks for the book. And you said, oh, I've got a uh, copy upstairs. I can get you some. And you won't let go of the book. <laughs> You're hoping you can get upstairs, keep red. Waiting <laughs> oh, I see. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't. I was so desperately lonely. I didn't want anybody to leave it. Yes. Time for another visit with our pal, Ranger Guard. Hi, Red. Hi, yeah. Harold. Yeah. Nice to see you up here at the fire tower. <laughs> Always nice to see young people up at the fire tower. I've been waiting for you. Well, we can't stay long, Gord. Just uh, came for that book that you said you, you'd lend me. Oh, right. There you go, from steer to steak, the do-it-yourself, how to slaughter book. Great, that's terrific. Thanks. You want a coffee? I, I knew you were coming. I made a pot. Uh, it only take me about 15 minutes to run up to the top. Get you a cup. No, 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 come on back. No, no, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Gosh, I forgot about that one, yeah. You know, Steve always said that there was an iota of, of every character in the, in the, in the, um, of every person in the characters that we played. And I, and I guess that, you know, maybe he picked up on the fact that I was, you know, a lonely kid and a shy kid and, and really enjoyed the times that we spent at his cottage. And I made little videos and stuff about it. So I think he sort of, he sort of translated that a little bit into the, into the Ranger Gord character where, I was uh, I was much more profoundly, you know, uh, graspy <laughs> for friendship, uh, and just sort of, you know, hyperextended to little iota of something that I had as a as a human being. Red, red, green, welcome. <laughs> you are welcome here, sir. Yeah, all right. What a treat. Okay, <laughs> I brought you a newspaper. 
Uh, do you know what personal ads are, Gord? Oh, boy. <laughs> I didn't think so. Okay. Personal ads are a way to use the newspaper to meet women. I'm loving this already. He says there, single women seeking single men. How do I meet these women? Well, no, you, you don't want to meet just any woman. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. No, no, no. no you, you, you want to find that one special woman to bond with. Bond? Yeah. Is that what they're calling it nowadays? <laughs> I guess I've been out of touch, huh? Well, yeah, you have, but you got to think about what kind of woman do you like, huh? Oh, uh, well, let me see. Uh, I guess age is important. Uh, she has to be uh, over 21 and under 100. Uh, oh, she can't be afraid of heights. And uh, no, I guess that's about it. So how do I meet these women? Uh, you said that you moved to the States for a bit, and that would have been around this time. And you, uh, you booked some roles, like on Davis Rules and WKRP, Murphy Brown. Uh, but obviously the, the ones that caught my eye were Cheers and Seinfeld. So when you auditioned for Cheers for the role of Kirby, did you expect to get called back uh, for the first episode of the last season? No. Uh, yeah, I moved. Uh, I had gone down to the States in the early, late 80s, I want to say. Uh, there, was, there was a much more traditional pilot season, which always took place at the worst time in Canada which was the best time down there from January, February, March, April, maybe. So I'd always gone down and there was a thing called a uh, H visa, which was proving, basically proving to an American bureaucrat that you had extraordinary merit in the art and in the arts. And you would, you would petition at that time, your agent could petition you and say, you would be pretty likely to make X amount of money and, uh, during the year. So with right. the basis of your agent petitioning for you, you could get an H visa. And that's what I went down there. And it used to be something like two years. And you, you, you only had to have your agent. You didn't have to have a contract with any particular studio and you'd go down and you'd audition. And you, you know, I did, uh, I want to say I did four pilots. Uh -huh. Um, Sunday, uh, the first one was, Oh, the first one was Baby Talk. It was me and Connie Selica and George Clooney and uh, the old, old guy from Pritzy's Honor. What was his name? Guy that talked like this. Anyway, uh, and, a, and, a, and a producer named Ed Weinberger. And they had, Ed Weinberger wanted me to do the role and the network wanted... Was it Joe Mantegna? Somebody like Joe Mantegna to do the role. They hired Joe Mantegna. I, I got turned down. And then um, two weeks later, I get a phone call from my agent that Joe Mantegna has been fired and they want you to do the role. And I was parachuted in at the 11th hour and literally had a couple of hours to rehearse and then boom, right in front of camera, in front of a live studio audience. And uh, this Ed Weinberger guy was just a tyrant. And uh, obviously, the, the role was badly written. Anyway, it was it was a it had a I had a really rough go of it. But then you probably remember or may not, but the, the series ended up going, and it was one of George Clooney's first series. But the producer Ed Weinberger was fired. I was fired. Connie Selica was fired. They only kept George Clooney and the guy from Pritzy's Honor. 
We'll be with you in just a second there. Hey, kiddo, why don't you give us a hand? Yeah, sure, as soon as I'm through sucking on it. And it went on for five seasons. I remember it was awful. Glad that didn't happen for me. And then I did a, sh- I did a pilot called Sunday Funnies with Levitt and Moy. And Levin and Moy are the guys that did Married with Children. They tried to do another one where they, uh, it was, you know, a guy, um, stand-up comedian, I forgot his name now, a real New Yorker guy, and he's sitting in the, in the jaw and reading the Sunday Funnies, and it would come to life and we would end. So I did that with, uh, Jennifer Aniston was in that. Uh, myself, uh, John Pinette, the late John Pinette, um, a few other people. That didn't end up going. Then I did one called This Just In, which was, I mentioned it earlier, it was a takeoff of Not the Nine O'Clock News, where I, as an interviewer, would interview people like uh, Bill Clinton about pressing the needs of the day, and they would have an outtake from a satellite feed that he did where he's trying to pick up the makeup woman who has just done his, his makeup. And uh, so as Bill Clinton said, they're going, I, I like peanut butter sandwiches. I really like peanut butter sandwiches. And I take the, 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 the peanut butter, I put it on, I put a banana right on. Is that right? Yeah. How long have you been doing? So I've been, I, in the middle of all of these things, I would be asking very important questions about the economy, the American economy, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're very pleased to have standing by for a live interview, the President of the United States. Good evening. Can you hear me all right, Mr. President? I can hear you faintly. Well, how about if I talk real loud? But if you talk up a little, I can hear you. I'm ready. Good. First, let me apologize for keeping you waiting so long. The scheduling has been... I'm enjoying it. I've been here quite a while. I'm, I'm about ready to stop enjoying it, but I'm, I want to do this interview. Well, we certainly want you to enjoy it, Mr. President. In fact, that's why the attractive blonde woman sitting right next to you has some of your favorites, some peanut butter and banana, sir. Bring me peanut butter? And banana, sir. Oh, I love peanut butter and banana. Do you like it? Mr. Clinton, how about your plan to revitalize the... You like peanut butter and banana? Where are you from? Mr. President. I never heard anybody outside the South like peanut butter and banana. President Clinton, can you hear me all right? Mr. President? Now, where are you from in Ohio? Mr. President, can we get back to the interview now, please? I eat, a lot of times I come home late at night and I get in the kitchen, open the crunchy peanut butter and just put it out, put it right on the banana and eat it. Perhaps now would be a good time to direct Sandy to give the President the peanut butter and banana. Will that be all right? Look what we got. I love it. I don't think I better get into that till after I did the interview. Good. It's okay. Good. Hello, President Clinton. Can we continue now, please? I'd like to ask you. Crunchy better. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. President. Next time we'll send crunchy. Okay, good. All right. And that one didn't end up going. Uh, But in the interim, you know, a lot of other shows, the ones that you mentioned, uh, Cheers, Seinfeld, Murphy Brown, show called Cutters, Burke's Law. That was on for years that made a resurgence for a bit. General Hospital for a couple of months. Um, uh, Yeah, and then uh, eventually Seinfeld. And Seinfeld was this horrible story where they, oh, I had moved. It must have been 94 or 95 when the the last season of the penultimate season of Seinfeld. And they wanted to bring my character back. Um, They asked if I could come down and do it. But in the interim, they, the American government had obliterated the H visa in favor of something called an O visa, which was exactly the same. 
actors of extraordinary merit, but you could, with the O visa, only work for the company that hired you. In other words, you if you were hired by NBC, Castle Rock, Universal, you could not work for whatever, ABC or Disney or something. Uh, so uh, I qualified for all of it, but the processing time was a minimum of two weeks. Yeah, Not knowing that, not knowing this, I stupidly told uh, Mark Gershfeld, the casting director, yeah, I, I can do it. I'd be happy to do it, but I can make sure that I get my visa in time. And it was just this horrible thing. They were very nice about it. They waited till the day they were having auditions to recast my role. They said, just do it. I ended up uh, faxing Jean Chrétien and a whole bunch of people that I possibly could to say, look, this is not fair. This is my role. But it's just a stupid bureaucratic process. Anyway, at the end of the day, I lost out. Oh, God. Look who's here. Who is this guy from my old neighborhood, Lloyd Braun? He's a big advisor to Mayor Dinkins. He thinks he's so cool. Uh, anyway. Hey, George. Hey, Lloyd. Hey. My friend Jerry. Uh, so I uh, hear you're living back home now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a fire in my apartment. Fire. There's a lot of major chicks in this place, huh? Something wrong with your arm? Uh, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I bumped my elbow on a desk and uh, injured something, and now it sort of moves involuntarily. One of the great regrets of my life, I didn't do the second Seinfeld. Um, but yeah. the Cheers thing, I guess the Cheers thing was Kirby buying his... Oh, no, Kirby bought his Cadillac after... Uh, um, what was it? Barber down. Yeah, the, starting a support group for good-looking people that have had high-performance cars stolen. Yeah. Excuse me, is this where the victim support group is meeting? Yeah, right over by the office there. I'll be right with you. Sam, am I to understand that you took it upon yourself to form a victim support group? I think that's an excellent idea. Well, actually, it was a little excited. It'll never work, I hope you know. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Kirby, 1967 vinyl covered hardtop, some fire yellow, 427 high performance engine. Oh, yeah, yeah, hi, hi, I'm Sam, I spoke to you on the phone. 64 ragtop, black interior, rally red with uh, knockoff hubs. It's good to know you, man. Yeah. This is 70 Cutlass Supreme convertible, uh, white interior with overdrive. I'm sorry, I'm not very good with names. What's your name? Sam. Sam, right. <laughs> That was his first appearance. That was the first one, yeah. And then the second one was, I had died. My widow comes back to sell him the Cadillac or something. Well, not the Cadillac, the Corvette. The bars burnt down because of the Christie Alley through. Yes. And you and come. He, you're going to buy money. Yeah, you're going to buy the money or buy the caddy and he can have money to help rebuild the it. The Corvette. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. All right, Sam, you got yourself a deal. All right, I'll okay. check. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kirby. That's great. The uh, the title and the uh, registration are in the glove compartment. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, I guess all I need now are the keys. Sam? The uh, keys? 
what was it like shooting that? Like, were you all on the stage at the same time? Because I know the scene right before the support group, it had basically like the whole cast and Harvey Fire scene and BB Newarth and in the scene prior to that. Like, did that all shoot the same time? Oh yeah, very much so. It's it, it, all of those shows: Seinfeld, uh, Murphy Brown, uh, Cutters. It was all live audience. Uh, which I'm not a big fan of. I, I've never been a fan of live audience. And when Steve Smith with Comedy Mill, or not Comedy Mill, with the uh, Red Green Show, wouldn't run of a live audience, I, I, I just don't like it as much. It was the pressure to perform, the pressure to get it right for 200 people in the audience should not be uh, as important as, you know, the pressure to get it right for you, just the, the, the people that are watching at home, which usually are in the hundreds of thousands or millions. I, that, that's kind of more my thing. And if you... If it's not what you like, you stop it. You do it again. But if you're doing Cheers and Murphy Brown and and Seinfeld, you're you're in front of a live audience, two or three other people. So the momentum has to keep going. So it's yeah, it's it's, it's done chronologically. All the scenes are done, and now we go to the bar. And now after this, it burns down, and they they put screens up, and then they open the screens, and it's all destroyed with fire, and the audience goes. <gasps> goes on that's that's how it's that's how it's done but yeah i mean it would the four camera sitcom is spectacular to watch because if i'm not sure it happens much anymore but in that time these giant cameras all had color-coded uh tape trails where you worked out in the blocking which camera was going to be on which character which time and if you looked at the floor where the cameras were uh, in front of the stage it was an absolute jumbled spaghetti of red, green, blue, and yellow lines where the different cameras had different um, rolling patterns to, to guide them to. And, and then on top of that, the camera guys had somebody t- in their ear telling them where to go. It yeah. was, yeah, it's, it was amazing. Wow. But good people. I mean, I, I, one of the things that I noticed about all of the really successful shows, you Cheers, Seinfeld. They all know that they're only as good as their weakest link. And the weakest link inevitably is the stupid new guy, you know, the guests on the show. And the guests on the show are usually pretty nervous and they're they're not used to running as fast as the cast is because they've they've been greased now for years and dozens and dozens of episodes. So um, they always embrace you. Uh, you know, it is standing at the craft table with Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David and 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 um, uh, Jason Alexander and uh, you know it's just that you're you're just you're right in there you're buddies with them and Larry David asked you do you have any ideas do you have any ideas when you want to come in to meet the Costanzas do you want to get any and I said yeah why don't I really rub it in bring her some beautiful flowers and she gives me a kiss on the cheek and I look over at Jason and all this kind of stuff and they said yeah great let's do that let's do that let's try it. somebody's at the door. Hello, Mrs. Costanza. Georgie, Lloyd Braun is here. Hey, Lloyd. What are you doing here? Well, I was just in the neighborhood visiting my mother, so I thought I'd drop by and say hello. Georgie, come here and say hello. How you doing, Lloyd? I hear you're a big advisor for Dinkins now. That's right. Hey, George. Hey, Lloyd. How's it going? (laughs) I uh, ran into George yesterday in the city. (laughs) Ow! 
So, uh, how's the arm? Oh, it's good, good. Oh, I asked Mr. Dinkins if he knew any good orthopedists, and he said he had the best, so I made an appointment for you, Dr. Dector. Mayor Dinkins got an appointment for him? You mentioned George's name to Mayor Dinkins? You discussed George with the mayor of New York? Dinkins was talking about you. He was discussing you. <laughs> you know, Lloyd, I, I, I've been to the doctor. There's really nothing they can do. Hey, Mayor Dinkins set this up for you. You know what kind of a doctor he must be if Dinkins knows it? All right, all right. All right. So all of that... Um, translates into you being more comfortable and if you're more comfortable you're 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 almost running as fast as they are in, in quality that they've already established the bad ones uh, the general hospital that i did the, the show called the uh, cutters there was a few others um where people are profoundly insecure and they're they're so insecure, they want to make themselves look better by putting you down so they look better by comparison, which happens a great deal more than it should. But just really not very aware of the fact that, you know, if you make your partner look good, you'll look better in, in return. So let's uh, come back up to Canada. You were, uh, did you know you were in Canada? Pardon? For a lot of nightmares of uh, garden homes for young kids. <laughs> That was actually the very first, one of the first shows that I did with Goosebumps. A lot of, that was a really popular show for a time. And um, it was the very first show that my two young kids were old enough to sit down and watch me in what, whatever ages they were, three and four years old. And, uh, and I didn't tell them that I was going to be in the show. I was just, you know, I said, let's, let's watch some TV. Let's watch this show. And uh, all of a sudden I came on screen. Because they, you know, I mean, they were growing up, and they, you know, they wouldn't even recognize Seinfeld. And now they, this is a kids' show, and they could actually um, enjoy it. And so they sat there, and then I came on screen, and I looked over, and they didn't, they didn't blink an eye, they didn't, they didn't say anything. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay. What is going on over there, Dad? Joe, what are you doing here? See for yourself. Has been destroying my garden. You can't be serious. You can't deny it this time. I caught him red-handed. Joe? I didn't do it, Dad. Honest. It was the gnomes. Stop right there. No, really. I heard the noise, and I came out, and they and were... And he's a liar, too. I know it's hard to believe. You are going to fix Major McCall's garden. But, Dad... Until it is perfect. You understand? Get back in the house. Very sorry, Major. Get my nose. At the end of the show, I looked over and I said to my daughter, who's a little older than my son, I said, so, well, what did you think? She looked at me and she said, Dad, when your daughter said that the lawn gnomes came to life and they started hurting people, why didn't you believe her? So it was just this complete suspension of 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 of, be, of belief that, or you know, just a, 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 of of realization that I was somehow her father on screen, but I was her dad here. But I was the same person. But there was there was that life for me, and that there was this life. For me. They, I, they they certainly weren't old enough to understand what acting was or who the people were on. You know, yeah. it was a fascinating time. 
Is that how you ended up getting their names on the credits of uh, Dudley the Dragon? Their names were on the credits? Uh, are their names Shauna and Braden? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know they were on the credits. Yeah, the very opening credits, uh, guest star Peter Callahan for Shauna and Braden. Oh, no, I think maybe what that was when... I think during the creation, during the during that show, I think whoever Graham Greene or whoever they they always dedicated their performance to a favorite kid, a favorite kid, <laughs> something like that. I that's my that's my initial memory. It might be different, but I, I'm pretty sure they weren't on it. No, but it. no, but I think it was just yeah. You're dedicating your performance to these kids, you know, and it might have been a charity thing, you know, it was kids. Sick kids or something, yeah. Right. I just thought that was interesting when I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, you did your research. I tried to, yeah. (laughs) Did you you watch Dudley the Dragon? Yeah, you sang a song. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Is your deepest wish to be super cool? Wow. I can tell you how. Just hang on tight. If you want to be cool... I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know, it might have been an outtake, but I had two, I had two coconuts around my waist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was a lot of laughter for a lot of people on set because I'd, I'd pretend that I was on a horse and I'd be, I'd be working the reins, but I wouldn't be working the coconuts, which happened to be down around waist height. But yeah. they would, they would, they would jiggle and they would clank, if you know what I mean. Point Dexter of Not to hereby declare the official meeting of the Royal Nightclub. Welcome to order. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, that was that was some good laugh for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get uh, involved with Ken Finkelman and the newsroom? Um Ken uh put out these scripts and it was uh, CBC, it was a very sort of under the radar, six scripts, uh, not really a series because it was only going to be six episodes. Um, but the, I think the scripts were released in their entirety or at least pretty sizable sides, pieces of the script. And, uh, the, 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 um, rumor mill just got on fire because we all thought this is great and stuff. This is really top-notch writing. It's edgy. It's funny. It's uh, important. Uh, so he had. Uh, it was just general auditions, um, and then I went in, and then uh, I wanted. I, I really wanted to play Jim Walcott very badly because I and I had done it previously. I had done a couple of parts like this in the states. Saddam Hussein emerged from several weeks in seclusion today and before a wildly enthusiastic audience unveiled a breathtaking repertoire of yo-yo tricks. He began with the popular walking the dog trick, then continued with a spectacular routine he devised himself, and finally brought the set to a stunning conclusion with a surprise display of virtuoso juggling. 
crowd loved the show, and no one tried to assassinate the beloved leader. And I played a dim, sort of a dim-witted anchorman in there. So I, um, I, can, I just I convinced them that I was the guy. Oh, you were the guy. Talking about uh, why you can't rip the first uh, bit of toilet paper roll. <laughs> That's right. That's a tremendous waste of toilet paper. The observational humor is huge. Seinfeld, Andy Rooney. Try this. Toilet paper. Have you ever noticed how it's impossible to start a new roll without shredding the first sheet? Why is that? I have no idea. No, see, that's the rhetorical observation. Why is that sets it up? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Say that, right? Yeah, okay, go ahead. So I figure we use two rolls a week. So that's two lost sheets a week. At about 300 sheets per roll, after three years, you've lost a whole roll. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but multiply that by a lifetime of 75 years, you wasted 25 rolls per person. Multiply that by 30 million Canadians, and you're talking about 750 million rolls. That's a huge toilet paper ripoff. See? Last line, ripoff? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That's the Andy Rooney thing, huh? It's, it's Andy Rooney, but it's Seinfeld. That's sort of a prime example. If you could actually get through looking at Ken Finkelman, there's a scene where we're talking after a party, a fundraising party, about a woman saying a choice between a choice for abortion should be between the woman, her doctor, and her God. And I thought she said the choice should be between the woman, her doctor, and her dog. And Ken, uh, in the scene that we're doing, he said, you thought you said dog? And I said, yeah, I did. I didn't hear God. What, well, how would you possibly believe that this could be a woman's choice, that what a dog would be? Okay, she told me that you thought that she said when she was talking about abortion that the choice was between a woman, her doctor, and her dog, and that you were willing to think about this, to consider this. No, I thought she said dog, not God. I know you thought that. That's my point, okay? You're discussing abortion. You know, uh, and, and you're not quite sure what a person says. Excuse me. Maybe they said dog, maybe they said God. It doesn't take a genius to figure out they said God. No, she could have said dog, she could have said God. I don't know, I didn't hear her. Let me put it this way. Someone says to you that they believe in an all-knowing God. Okay, but you don't quite hear them. Are you going to think, oh, maybe they said, I believe in an all-knowing dog? Uh, no. I thought she said dog, that's all. I know. I know you thought that, okay? Someone's going to have an abortion. What are they going to do? Consult a dog? No. Stay away from these issues, all right? Anyway, we couldn't do the scene. We, we, we stood there and we just giggled. Oh, my. It was awful. It was awful. I mean, take after take was ruined. And eventually, I had to move away and he'd look at a spot on the wall and we'd do a close-up of Ken and then He'd move away, and I'd look at a spot on the wall and do my lines that way because we just couldn't look at each other. But again, just a, a really fun time. And Ken being a loose cannon, it was it was it was interesting. He seemed like he was very much like a Larry David sort of, very much so. Yeah, even his uh, the things he gets upset about, like his BMW needs new windshield wipers, and he's like, well. I mean, the Germans got everything they needed for their tanks when they were full. <laughs> <laughs> How come I can't get my yeah. wipers? Yeah. Henry, okay, these wipers, I know they have to come from Germany. 
Okay, listen, Rommel had 10,000 tanks in North Africa. He didn't have a big problem getting parts from Germany. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, very much. He was he was Larry David before Larry David was in. Uh, made in Canada, where you played Alan Roy, the head of uh, production. Mm -hmm. Alan Roy was an amalgam between a lot of other people at the time, which a lot of the stories that were told in the show came from reality because so many of the writers had worked with all of those these people in the past. and So names changed to protect the guilty, but so much, so much of that show was, was true from around the industry, the, you know, the, the Peter principle or whatever it was that existed within the industry, the sexism again. And so you can call him. What's Adam Reese got cooking? I saw him at the tailors. He seemed unusually pleased with himself. It's a book. It's probably the dog channel thing, but hey, you passed on that. It's a book. Victor, the dog channel thing will not work. And even if it does, I don't care. Just because I work in television doesn't mean I don't have any dignity left. It's probably a new media thing. Nah, new media's old news. I'm telling you, it's a book. A book? I don't think Adam can read. Unless, unless it's a prestige thing. I have to think of Adam having prestige. But, uh, you know, smart, funny a blast to do because we did five seasons that it was in Halifax. Um, Gerald Luntz, Rick Mercer, their partners, they created the show. Yeah. Uh, huge, huge respect for those guys. And um, Mercer, his, his frame of reference is spectacular. At the end of every season, we'd have parties on, we'd have a rap party and he'd always rent a boat and you could never get off the boat, obviously, because it would just sort of cruise around Halifax Harbor. So the, the result was you really couldn't go home if you had enough. So you stayed on the boat. And after four or five hours, almost literally, we were crawling off the boat on our hands and knees. And Rick would be standing there pontificating about how China got the Olympics because Coca-Cola doesn't have a good foothold there. And so the guy is, is yeah, brilliant guy. For Slings and Arrows, you're like a corporate sponsor that Mark McKinney is trying to land for their theater. Uh, what was it like uh, playing opposite Mark for most of, the, of your time on that show? Uh, I loved it. Um, Mark was a buddy from, I want to say, Made in Canada. I think he played a ex-con on Made in Canada, and that's when I first met Mark. And we sort of stayed buddies um, over the time. Uh, so Slings and Arrows was the baby of Bob Martin, who I think he won, uh, I want to say, uh, Tony for uh, a play on Broadway called The Drowsy Chaperone. Um, yeah, so it was kind of that, that nucleus of, of people that wrote this really bright show about um, life at, at, uh, at a festival. Sort of Stratford, I guess. Stratford Shaw amalgamation. Um, yeah, I, I uh, Peter Wellington was the director of one episode that I remember in particular, where Mark McKinney had uh, designed a a poster of yeah. an old person, and I just had to rip Mark a new one. And I, you know, wanting to play it realistically, I, I just like I tried to keep the lid on it a bit. And Peter Wellington and Marx has said, no, just let it go. And with every successive take, I just let it go more and more. <laughs> so at the end of it, it's pretty incendiary. It's, uh, it's, it, it's Mark and with a lot of my spit on his face. 
<laughs> what the flying fuck are you doing? I know, I know how it looks, but it's a two-pronged attack. No, 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 I don't think you know how it looks. It looks like we're calling our subscribers a bunch of corpses. They think we've gone crazy. Yes. And once they think we've gone crazy, we can do anything we want. What? Nixon said, all change is resisted because bureaucrats have a vested interest in the chaos in which they exist. What the hell kind of bullshit is that? I'm just trying to say, trust me. Trust you? You want people to trust you? Don't quote Nixon, you fucking idiot! With respect, sir. Look, you put me on this board to give you some sound business advice. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Well, my sound business advice to you right now is that this is a really shitty fucking ad! People are pissed off, Richard. Subscribers are calling board members at their homes at all hours. I know. Jesus Christ, I just spent two hours on the phone with my mother trying to convince her that this is not her picture in a fucking ad! I'm sorry. Christ! There's actually a YouTube video someone made, a compilation of you yelling from different series. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I have not seen that. Some stuff from 18 to Life where you're yelling in the car. and Oh, yes, yes, yes. Ranger yelling Gord. at my son for not knowing how to drive, yeah. Probably Ranger Gord yelling about being struck by lightning and how it energizes the brain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I got to see that. Okay, yeah, what's in it? <laughs> Can you smell that? That burning? The smell of a transmission bleeding for its life! I can't change gears when you're yelling at me. I'm not yelling! What about the birch? Paramedic! Professor! I thought there were names for me! No one's talking to you! Handbrake! Handbrake! The love of God! Well, where are you going? You gonna run on to wifey? And next, I wanted to talk just a bit about Little Mosque on the prairie. Mm -hmm. You were brought in for like season three, uh, playing like a building. You, you owned a building development. You were bribing uh, Carlo to pass your inspection. But then later in season six, you come back as the Reverend's brother. Oh, that's right. I have forgotten about that. Yeah, they, yeah. I was curious. It was a little, was a little like uh, on Made in Canada, Gordon Pinson was an actor on their show, Beaver Creek, which was supposed to be a kind of an Anna Green Gables thing or um, a wind, wind at her back kind of show. And then they killed Gordon Pinson off. And I remember Rick saying, why would I do something stupid? Pinson. So they, at the very last season, they made him come back as the owner of a rival network or a rival production company that bought it at us. And uh, he was a real badass. So yeah, kind of a similar thing, I guess, maybe in, in um, Little Mosque where uh, I play two characters and, you know, maybe people noticed, I guess you did. <laughs> but I came back and I was uh, uh, Furla. Um, I want to say it was called uh, uh, Billable Hours. Yeah. Billable Hours. Right. Yeah. That's where I first met Brandon. And uh, so we, uh, we ended up playing, I think I was his father on Billable Hours. I ended up playing his brother on, uh, on this show. Fun to do. You know, got to, got to flirt with Deb McGrath, who was a great old bud of mine. Um, yeah. Then it's decided. Mercy Anglican is becoming a destination church. Isn't that up to Reverend Thorne? Oh, if I know my brother, there's no way he won't do it. There's no way I'm doing it. What? 
Why? It can't be done. I've looked at this from every angle. In this small community on a limited budget, in this venue, it can't be done. I really think we can make this work. And I've crunched the numbers. Well, Bobber crunched the numbers. He thought he was doing my taxes. The point is, the numbers have been crunched. We can't do a big show. Come on, Billy. No, and stop calling me Billy. Come on, we can hang out. No, and that's another reason why I'm not doing this. Chuck. Yeah, you know, the whole Chuck thing doesn't really bother me. Next, uh, I'd love to know about the film Love Letters. I couldn't come across much about it, but it seems like it's an important role since you took it upon yourself to write and produce it with Leah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leah and I have, was, was asked once to do um, a reading of Love Letters, and if, if people don't know it, it's, 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 it's basically a two-hander that is read on stage at two desks. So uh, you, you get any two actors that you want, you put them on a stage, you give them the script, and they read this play. So we had done the play and enjoyed it, and then had an idea to try to celebrate some of the married couples that uh, were in the industry in, in Canada, like actual married couples. Yeah. Uh, so sold this idea to the CBC. They thought, great. And so we started gathering up all of these names of actual married couples that were both actors. And uh, the late, great Peter Donaldson, Sheila McCarthy, me and Leah, uh, Samantha B and Jason Jones. We, we got all, uh, Deb McGrath, Colin Mockery. And so we had people reading segments of the play uh, intercut with moments from their real life and what how, it, how it's easier or harder to be actors or be in the same business in the same house. And it, uh, it was for Valentine's Day. It was kind of a love note to Canada for Valentine's Day. And I want to say it played over maybe one or two Valentine's Day. And I guess many people now would recognize you for Murdoch Mysteries. Was your yeah. role originally just a one episode role when you auditioned for it? Well, it, it, it might have been. It might have been at the time, but, you know, it just turned into a recurring. So I, as long as the show's been on, I've done one a year. And this character comes back for better or worse. And. They, they put him through all sorts of things and it's, 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 it's fun to do because he's a total foil for Murdoch's character who's, you know, by the book, head down, police detective, and I'm much more airy-fairy and conspiracy theories and government stuff and national security that he, you know, is totally in a quandary about. That. Mr. Myers. Ah, detective. Have you located Baumgart yet? I have, or I should say, he located me. Well, then why haven't you arrested him? Because I'm not entirely convinced he's guilty. Well, it's nonsense. The man is a killer. Funny, he says the same thing about you. <sighs> that is ludicrous. Um, but Yannick and I have been friends for decades again. We did a film, gosh, we did a film when he was, he's a few years younger than me, and he played a kid in the film, I want to say it was a Disney film called Genius where I played a coach and he played a, one of the hockey players. Man, I thought they were going to give old Cricket and Neck the boot and let us have our arena back. They were, until they recruited some super genius kid to help them solve the mysteries of the universe or some such garbage. What's the little pit whiffer's name, anyway? Charlie Boyle! I'm looking all over for you. <laughs> I'm Dean Wallace. Welcome. We're expecting great things from that brain of yours, son. Hmm? Now, nah, every 
everyone's so excited to have you here at Northern. Well, not everyone. I think they hate me. What, that bunch of losers? Who cares about them? Also from Montreal, but we're good buds and we have a lot of fun doing the show. It's a... Uh... It's it's an institution in this country. It's been it's incredibly popular. It, it, you know we've we've had fan days in Toronto where people come from France and Japan to just to see the set and to meet some of the actors. It's spectacular. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's a really great Canadian success story. You know, it's kind of a, a Sherlock Holmes set in Toronto at the turn of the century. If you're not Queen Bloody Victoria, then you'll not be ordering Thomas Charles Brackenreid around. Terence Myers, still in the employ of the Canadian government, I take it. What are you doing here, Myers? Oh, and uh, help yourself, why don't you? Gentlemen, there are mysterious and disturbing events transpiring hereabouts, and I believe you both know something about it. The world is changing in ways you cannot imagine, so let's have ourselves a little chat, shall we? Another hit show you've been working on lately is Working Moms, where you play the PR firm or the head of the PR firm of Yeah, Reitman. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about that? It's a uh, it's a really popular show as well, and I, I think it's uh, uh, my mother hates it. <laughs> my mother is a ninety four year old Irish Catholic woman who thinks it's absolutely horrible. Well, would you look who is off the bench, Richard? <laughs> Great to see you. Uh, okay, okay. All right. That's good. Okay. Hard to believe you're somebody's mommy now. Yeah, don't I know? Gotta say, though, it feels real good to be in here. So, HR tells me you have a room to do your milking thing? Yes, this office. Oh. That'll, uh, that'll put on quite a show. Yeah, I think I'll use the bathroom. Mm. Hey, speaking of, I hear Happy Farms Dairy is coming in. Yeah. President passed away, leaving the wife in charge, and she's making a tour of PR firms. I'd love a chance to pitch. Never felt closer to being a cow myself. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, again, Catherine and her husband are on set. They're the power. They're, they, they control the, 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 the reins. There's very little bureaucracy with, with the show uh, as far as network interference. And uh, a blast to do. It's just, just a few days during the year, you might think it's... You know, my my character is not, you know, well, it's 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 sort of a secondary character, but it happens very quickly. I think I'm on set maybe three or four days for the entire season, so I all of my episodes are shot, you know, one after the other in, in, uh, in three or four days. So I have very little time with all of these people, and I have very little time with most of the other characters except for Catherine. Right. Yeah. I, I only really work with her and uh, and Nikki Duval who plays uh, her assistant mm. and Nikki. I, if, if you haven't seen Nikki, you'll, you'll be seeing her a lot more. She's fabulous. Really great actor. Very funny. She seems like she's got her uh, head in the game of comedy. She knows when to, her timing. Oh my. And again, playing comedy straight, you know, like stealing stuff and having, having sex on the desk and, breaking down about it. Like she really is broken up about all of these things. Right. Stealing, stealing Wi-Fi. And yeah. Oh, she's fabulous. 
Oh, uh, girls got you some cupcakes or something. They're around here somewhere. Did you want them? I can find them. They're probably in the kitchen. Oh, I'm sorry, Ms. Foster. I am your new assistant, Rosie. <laughs> nice to meet you, Rosie. You can call me Kate. 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 Uh, and then one last role I'd like to mention was something your friend Pat McKenna turned me on to. A hilarious CBC gem original, Hey Lady. And yeah. Stars hilariously foul Jane Eastwood. But yeah. like Little Mosque, you play two characters, and she even references it. <laughs> hey, lady, I have to ask, you know, um, are you really buying this? I have to ask you, mm-hmm. are you really an art gallery owner? Because you gotta wonder, weren't you the manager at some golf club at some point? And not a very convincing one, I might add. Yes, that's right. Well, I mean, the, the whole premise is that she believes that she is in a TV show that nobody else is privy to, so that she goes around and saying, you know, this is kind of boring. Can we cut this now? Can we just can we just go to the next scene? Can we do this? Can we do that? Time to put some lipstick on a pig. Don't just sit there, cut to a scene in the park. Not this park. I hate this fucking park. It's an old people's park. I hate old people. What are you looking at? Are you looking at my tits? You don't have any tits. That's because life sucked me dry, you blowjob. Let's try another park. I hate this park. Oh, that's better. This is a nice park. It's a park where all the smart people are. But nobody else is quite aware of what the hell she's talking about, which I think is a great conceit. You know, Morris Panitch is a, is a fabulous writer. And again, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you have enough money to do a show, but not enough to care too much about, you know, how you're doing it. And uh, just going on set. And uh, one of the producers is John Bucken, who's Sarah Pauly's brother. Um, Sarah Pauly was one of the directors. Um, Jeff Bowes and Dixie Seidel were actually our next door neighbors. And we grew up with Will Bowes who directed the episodes that I did. Uh, We saw him go from a kid, a high school kid, to a a little heartthrob in a a boy band down in California and almost making it into the big times with with this boy band thing. And he came back to Canada, God bless him, does what he loves in a country that we all would rather be in and, uh, and nurture and, so he's, yeah, he's, he directed the episodes that I did. And I thought just this little gem of a show, Jane, Jane and, and Jackie Richardson and, uh, and so much fun. And, oh yeah, it's great. Just great. And just, you know, giving you, giving you license to do whatever you want. Like I was, I was on set and I, you know, we had whatever it was because it was such low budget. We had two hours to shoot this scene and, and, uh, screaming hot day i think it was in coburg i had this idea for the the gallery owner and they said okay and i so you sort of switch on a diamond and then i made him a a polish guy because my did my an invitation of my father's accent Uh, no actually i am an art reviewer and i have to say you really have quite the collection here reviewer who are you with i'm with her Uh uh-huh and you are? I'm me. I mean, who is anybody when it comes right down to it? I am the honor 
of this gallery. Okay. What gallery? And just like that, you're somewhere else. Yeah, you gotta wonder who greenlit this thing. And I knew the other guy wanted to be French Canadian, but I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of it being a kind of an ensemble piece that you know, if 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 they'd listen, if they pay attention to how good this show is, the CBC would bring it back as a as a regular series and just you know give it some more, give it a few more episodes, and we could all be an ensemble playing different characters at different times, which I think. I love that idea. It was actually Gordon Pinson that about 20 years ago said to me, wouldn't it be great if we had this ensemble piece where we have different actors that we all like working with and we all put them in different roles, but you don't, you never call them on being in a different role, but just playing a different role. There used to be shows like that in the States years ago. So I'm sorry if I skipped any specific role that you wanted me to hit. Did I cover them all to your satisfaction? (laughs) Yeah, you, you hit everything that you were supposed to hit, including screwballs, which you weren't supposed to hit. <laughs> it's where you started. I had to, <laughs> had to... Oh, no, I think the very, very first thing I did was a commercial for a pharmacy in Quebec called Jean Couture. And my line was, anytime, my friend, as the camera comes closer to me. And that's how helpful we all are at the pharmacy, Jean Couture. I'm going to have to dig through some files, see if that's available. Oh, I don't think so. When traveling around, you'll find one place that's ready to welcome you with low prices and friendly advice. It's Jean Couture. A great deal on your photos. Hello. Aftershave or makeup. Ah, good morning. Or good advice. Anytime, my friend. At Jean Couture, we really try. At Thomasco, Jean Couture, we've got it all and close at hand. At Thomasco, Jean Couture, you'll find it all. Even a friend. I just wanted to hit on something, but uh, you share the same passion as Gordon Pinsent when it comes to the lack of Canadian culture. Uh, could you tell us what made you so passionate about this cause, and do you think it's getting any better? I think it is getting better. You know, I think. Uh, especially with new media, and you say it's new media, but it's just really it's, it's Netflix and a bunch of other stuff that's coming around today that people don't necessarily know that it's Canadian or it's British or it's this or it's that, or you watch this amazing show and it ends up being made in Portugal or Northern Ireland or something. And I think we're getting to that place where we're coming into our own knowing that uh, it's a world community of, of, of talent the United States and India are the only two countries in the world with a, with self-sufficient industries of film and television. And I think that's changing rapidly because the money is being dispersed beyond uh, Hollywood and, and Delhi. You know, it's, it's going to all of these other entities and, 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 and the internet is, is changing the way we look and watch the medium. So, uh, where we were, where Gordon was in 1950 fighting for the CBC and uh, his wife, Charmian King, who was an actress as well, would say, you know, we'd always get notes from the Canadian public, even back in the 50s, where they'd say, yeah, we watch hockey, but we don't watch Canadian TV. It's too Canadian. And it's like anything else, you know, Australia used to make terrible wines and Canada used to make terrible wine, but we're beyond all of that now. We've we've cut our chops with an awful lot of service industry, an awful lot of U.S. productions coming up here. 
we getting better and better and better at what we do and then teaching us how to do it. And I think certainly in, within, the, within the United States, we're known as an incredibly um, talented a group of people that can direct and produce and manage a, a production. And they've chosen to shoot the new Picard series up here and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's important that we do have this service industry that supplies a great deal of uh, industry and work and finances into this country. But it's also very important that the house that we built has a good foundation of CanCon, Canadian content stuff, because the, 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 um, amount of work that comes up to this country is only as good as our tax credits or our um, low dollar. There's no loyalty in this business. It's always been said that if you want loyalty in show business, get a dog. And I believe that to be very true. So, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when, um, when I, when I took it upon myself to try to um, take over the, 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 the relay um, staff that Gordon was running with when he was, um, working in this country, I think it's, it's almost being done by default by everybody else. Everybody else in this country starts to start is starting to realize how valuable, what a good brand this country is and how great it is to bring up children, the quality of life, the lack of Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, that the product that we have in this country is every bit as good as everywhere else. At the same time, we're still struggling with the star system. You know, like if you go to Australia, you realize that Jeffrey Rush can go home to his to 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 Australia and live and work in the country that he loves, and not feel disparaged by coming back to do that. But I think if you took names like Ryan Reynolds and and uh, Mike Myers and say, "Oh, they want to come back and work in Toronto," I think the automatic. Um, thought would be, oh, I guess they're on the down slope of their career or something. I think that attitude has to change. Right. Just yeah. like it is different in Australia that, that they really do celebrate Indigenous work. And with our Indigenous people, I think we need to work hard on, on making that more celebrated. A few years ago, I tried to start a petition to make Victoria Day First People's Day, and I got my father-in-law Gordon Pinson and Brian Top and Margaret Atwood and Thomas King and we all signed a petition and tried to say we want to make um, Victoria Day named after a queen who never set foot in in this country and is commonly called May two four by everyone else because it's really just a statutory holiday that nobody really knows how to celebrate except by having a holiday and make it First People's Day. You go to any other country in the world and you say well, here I am in Poland and I'd like to see some Polish dancing and some Polish this, and you'll go to a theater and you'll see it. But I challenge anyone to come to this country and say, oh, I'd like to see some indigenous culture. Where would you go? You can't see it anywhere. Oh. And that, that, is, that is a crime. Anyway, we're getting there. I think it has to be measured in, in probably not years or decades. I think it's going to be measured in generations, but we are going to get there. I think we're... Uh, we're getting better and better all the time. And I hope that my children and my children's children realize that um, we are in the best country in the world. And the onus is on us to stay here to make it better and to um, thrive. <laughs>
Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. Cheers. Thank you for inviting me. Is there anything you wanted to plug before I, I let you go? Do you like social media or anything? Well, uh, Hey Lady was was one that I really wanted to say. If you haven't watched it, it's uh, it's streaming on Jim now. Give it a ch- give it a chance. You could watch all episodes in what like half an hour, forty five minutes. They're only eight minutes long. They're little gems. The little gems with some great acting by Jane Eastwood and and Jackie Richardson. Um, no, I, I can't think of anything else. Oh, check out the Possum Lodge uh, webcast with. Um, with Steve Smith, myself, and Pat McKenna, and Jeff Blumby, and Bob Bainbro. And it's at uh, possumlodgeonline.com. That sounds good. That sounds right. Great, man. I'm going to turn this off. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. So Peter and I spoke for over half an hour, and I still wasn't able to ask him about everything. Like his turn as Satan on Big Wolf on campus, or his work on Niagara Hotel. There was even some things I cut out just for time's sake, like his cartoon voiceover work on Cops and Ed's New, plus other shows. So, like Peter said, check out Hey Lady on CBC Gem and the Possum Lodge podcast over at possumlodgeonline.com. Give us a rating and review and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Plus Pod. That's E H P L U S P O D. Thanks, as always, to Oliver Eckstein for his help with the mix, and of course to Peter for his time. Have a good week, and try not to be hit by lightning. That can't be good for you. He writes, dear experts, la la la. <laughs> Last year, my husband was camping and got struck by lightning. He's wondering if his memory would be affected, but in fact... Oh, fiddlesticks! Stick some fiddle, that's, a, that's fiddlesticks. Take that fiddle and stick it. <laughs> See, if anything, lightning improves your memory. Your brain uses electricity. And lightning is electricity, so there's a lifetime of thinking in one lightning bolt. <laughs> so how can I not improve your memory, huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs>